The following is a conversation with Christian Stutzman. Christian is a professional longboarder turned computer programmer. He still rips, and he still wins comps, but like many of us, he's had to find ways to support his dream of surfing as much as possible. In this episode, we discuss following your dreams, the best job if you want to surf all of the time, crazy airline stories, and more. Enjoy. What's up, Christian? Good to have you on the podcast today. Good to so, be here. Thanks for having me. You are a pro longboarder. How did that start out? Well, I mean, it's kind of hard to, to really consider yourself a professional longboarder, I think, in this space. I think it's almost a misnomer growing up. That was always my goal was I just I wanted to be a pro surfer. That's uh, when people asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up. Came pro, I, I want to be a pro surfer. That's, that's all I care about. That's all I want to do. And I think kind of as that evolved, I realized that, you know, I, I kind of gravitated more towards longboarding at a younger age. Um, and that was just kind of, you know, I grew up at Sano in San Clemente. So I kind of really was just kind of given that from the very start of my surfing career was, you know, this is what you do in the way I respond. You just longboard. And I really gravitated towards that. And the more I got into, you know, progressing farther on the quote unquote professional aspect of it, the more I realized that professional longboarders aren't really the same as most professional athletes, let alone professional surfers. Um, whereas the money isn't quite there. And I think it's difficult for a lot of people, for a lot of professional longboarders to make an actual living just from longboarding. I think it's, it's a very unique space in that I would say the vast majority of proper professional longboarders, the guys that you see on the WSL and on tour, have full-time jobs. And I think that's something that you, I don't really see a lot in professional surfing as far as you wouldn't imagine, say John, John Florence, Kelly Slater, all these people when they're at the, the prime of their career and winning the world titles that like, oh, they can't do this contest because you know that they don't have enough vacation days on their work. That would just be absurd, let alone someone like from the Lakers or another like insert random uh, athlete here having that issue. And I think in that way, it's, it's a little difficult sometimes to really say like, oh yeah, I am a professional longboard. You know, I do professional contests, but it's difficult to make an actual living, I think, through just surfing, which makes it very unique also in the fact of a lot of, like, it basically means that most people that are doing this, they're not doing it for the money. I think you see that sometimes with other aspects of surfing, other aspects of sports that people kind of lose their, their drive to, to do what they want to do and to and kind of lose the reasoning behind what they're doing. Uh, whereas longboarding, I think that the, the silver lining and the beauty to it of, of having that professional aspect not quite being the same is that all you can rest assured that all those guys that are guys and girls that are professional longboarders and making any sort of money off of it or really pushing their careers to that point are doing it because they absolutely love it. And I think that that's a really cool thing at least. The dirt bag is the most protective and functional board bag on the market. 25 millimeters of padding ensures your boards remain protected during travel, and the universal racking system allows you to rack your bag on any vehicle with or without existing racks. Use code DIRTBAGRADIO on the website dirtbagsupplycode.com for 10% off your order. Free shipping throughout the U.S. So what is being a professional longboarder 
entail? Are you going to a lot of competitions? Um, are you getting sponsorship offers? Yeah, I mean, it for me, it started out with sponsorship. Uh, my first sponsor ever was a company called Iron Cross Surfboards, uh, which is now, I believe, Cardiff Surf Shop. Uh, they're based out of Cardiff in California, in Encinitas. Uh, that's where I grew up. And uh, they were the first people that really took me on. They helped me out with deals and surfboards. Uh, and I was able to kind of work with them to kind of get the surfboards that I really wanted to ride out. Uh, and then from there, how old you know, were you when, kinda, when you first got sponsored? I want to say I was about 17, I think. Was there a contract um, involved or was it kind of like they give no, you boards? Yeah. And in fact, I don't think I have a single contract with any of my sponsors. Uh, and I think I, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, obviously, but I would imagine that that's honestly in, in longboarding relatively common just because, like I said, it's, it's not the same sort of, you know, if you're getting on with like Hurley or Billabong, they're giving you this big contract that you need this many things and you're getting a salary or whatever it might be with a lot of longboard sponsorship. It's a lot of just, you know, hookups. Like I will, help you out with this, whether it be fins, wax, or forwards, and then you will help me by bringing that name out into the world and, and getting it things. And for me, that's all I've ever really wanted. And that's, I mean, amazing to work with these people. Uh, once I once I moved up to Hermosa Beach, uh, when I was, gosh, 21, I ended up going on with Jose Barahona of Barahona Surfboards. That was my, that ended up replacing my surfboard sponsor and uh I still the surfboards that I ride today and I think that was my first like proper taste of you know what a, a real sponsorship was like and the fact of I just felt like I got to work so closely with Jose when we first made a board it wasn't oh here's my the model that I make that I think would be good for you like let's let's get you that it was hey come into the shop and let's spend three hours going over this blank and exactly what you want Let's get all the dimensions from the length, the width, the height, the tail, the nose, concave, everything. Let's get it exactly to what you want and let's get this to be your board. Uh, and to his credit, that's what he does with, I think, a lot of his custom shapes. It's why his boards are so incredible. Um, but just having that extra layer of being there and really kind of having that give and go was a really special relationship for me. Um, and from there, it kind of blossomed out to Hippie Tree was the next sponsor that picked me up. And that was just kind of an organic thing of me, you know, living in Hermosa and kind of offhandedly knowing some of the people who founded the company and just getting along with them. And, and they brought me on just as a surfer uh, for their clothing line. And that was always been a dream of mine. I think one of the coolest things was like growing up that was like my dream was to always be on hippie tree uh i think that was just like such a cool thing in my mind because they had such a good group of, of people surfing for them uh and it just seemed like such a good atmosphere um and then from there i ended up getting picked up uh by barefoot surf company which is a wax company in uh huntington beach and uh macho fins which is actually based out of spain um obviously providing me with fins uh which those two have come relatively more recently within the last year or so, uh, both of which have been amazing. I think working with the wax company Barefoot uh, has really just given me an opportunity to, to try a new type of wax that I hadn't 
never heard of before that moment and found out that it's honestly my favorite wax that's kind of how that whole thing came to be is they sent me product like hey do you mind like do you want to just try this out tried it out and it was just incredible um and same thing with macho fins i ended up going over to spain for a surf contest and the the company that flew me over there um that i was on the flight for they lost our surfboards including the fin ended up through a roundabout scenario got our surfboards back at one of the bags but not the bag that had any of our fins in it and the guys that were running the contest were like oh hey we have these guys called macho fins they're running a booth in our contest like go head over them I, I think they could hook you up with you know borrowing a fin for the contest and they let me borrow this fin uh it's a the model that they use it's a bow is the one that I ride it's a 10 and a half inch I put it in and I never gave it back to them uh I approached him after the contest and I was like I I I don't want to give this back uh can I buy it from you and they said yes and it just came organically from that of me just absolutely loving that fin so much and I think just kind of that relationship started there and just blossomed into that sponsorship that's Um, awesome was that a WSL contest uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, so they did do a WSL contest at that same general location, but this was about a year before that. Um, it was for what's called the Feralog, um, which is a contest put on by a couple local guys in Feral in Galicia in Spain. Uh, it's in the northwest tip of Spain. Um, and they had gotten, the reason that me and my fiance Morgan got involved in that contest was uh, they ended up getting Jose Barahona, Barahona Surfboards. He was a sponsor and they were kind of looking to get other people from, they wanted to make it an international affair. And from then, you know, Jose reached out and was like, Hey, I got a couple team riders, you know, if you want to invite someone. And they were kind enough to invite us over there. And that was actually my first time ever going to Europe of doing uh, an international professional contest. Uh, or at least getting invited to that. I think right after, right before that, I had gone to the Mexi Log Fest, which was my first actual, like, international professional contest. And then literally went there, I think, a, a week later. <laughs> That's awesome. So you show up to this contest, you lose some equipment, you're forced to make a last minute unexpected equipment change. You try out a new fin. How did you do in the contest? Uh, I actually won. So you won the contest on equipment that you had no idea how it was going to work yeah it was and i think that's the, awesome the funny thing was i i really feel like i got lucky because the the bag that we got at first that didn't have my fin in it also didn't have my surfboards so i had to ride my fiance's surfboard which are were a lot smaller and than what i'm used to and definitely not at all you know the boards that i normally ride um and i had to use those to get through the entire first round and then after that got my other board back and was able to do that and and didn't put in the new fin I was just like I'm going to keep with this macho fin because it works so well <laughs> that's awesome you mentioned that uh one of the cool things of being a, a pro long boarder is getting to work with shapers to design boards that are perfect for you how much of a difference does a custom board make from say a stock board how much of a difference does that make for you I huge for me. Like I, I, I got into custom surfboards at a very, very early age. Uh, one of my first surf, my really my first longboard I ever owned was a custom shaped by Terry Martin. And he did the, the same thing of, he let me come in and design my actual surfboard, which 
uh, to his credit, may not have been the best idea because at the time I was like 10 years old. <laughs> so oh, I didn't really have, <laughs> yeah. But he was very, very kind in the fact of like, he was like, no, 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 this is your board. We're going to make it exactly how you're going to make it. Uh, and so I told him everything I wanted. And at the time it was perfect for me, even though right now looking back on it, it might not have been the best board because I made some, let's say rash decisions um, about how it should be. Um, but I think pretty much ever since that, that's kind of been my go-to. Um, I have very, very rarely in my life bought just a, a stock board that's just straight out of the rack. Um, for me, I, I've never really been a fan of kind of boards designed for the masses. I've always, for better or worse, been, you know, a, a weird board guy. And maybe that's from growing up in both San Onofre, Trestles area, and also Encinitas and Cardiff, where a lot of that uh, alternative board movement kind of really became what it is today uh, in the early, late 2000s or so. And from there, it was like a lot of the boards that I wanted weren't available as non-customs. If I wanted a, the board that I actual, actually wanted, I need to go to my shaper and say, hey, this is kind of what I want. Can you do it? Um, and for me, that's kind of the fun of all of it, of you're getting a board that's made for you. You're not getting a board that was made for some, for Mick Fanning, who can surf a hundred times better than you. And obviously he can surf any board ever. Of course, he's going to make it look good, but I have a board that's designed for me and my style. And I think having something like that is one of the most important aspects of surfing, of improving your surfing and knowing your style and how kind of that affects you. I think a lot of people get caught up in looking at videos of other people writing things or, you know, what works for professionals, so on and so forth, without really thinking, how does that apply to me? How does that work with the way that I surf? Um, and that's been such a great thing of working with Jose, just because I can go through and I can, I can go through a board design process with him and bring something, you know, weird to the table. And I can say, this is kind of what I'm thinking. This is how I'm thinking this is going to go. This is what I think would make that tell me if that will work. And he is such an incredibly good shaper. He knows everything about, you know, what will do what in the water, what kind of foils on the board, what kind of rails it would need to make that feeling, to make that style of board. Um, so I've been really lucky to work with him and that it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it and that I can come bring him an idea and say, you know, this is what I'm thinking about a board and he can take what I gave him and instead of making the exact thing that I told him to, he'll make a board that gives me what I wanted, which is incredible and has really just made such big strides in my surfing of trying different things and different boards um, and things that aren't always available everywhere. That's awesome. One of my favorite things about surfing is, is trying out different boards. I think it, it, it makes me a better surfer, understanding how different boards work and getting down the sort of body mechanics that stay constant no matter what board you're on and then figuring out how to fine tune your surfing to a particular board. I heard that yeah. you have possibly more short boards than long boards. Is that true? Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing, really. Uh, I would, if I had to pick one, I mean, I don't really like to say necessarily that I'm a long board or a short boarder. I, I like the, the label of just a surfer just because I like to ride, you know, whatever. 
but really if I had to pick between the two, I'm, I'm definitely more of a longboarder. That's what I usually ride. Um, and that's my go-to. I'm definitely better at longboarding than I am at shortboarding. Uh, that being said, I have one longboard and I think I have like seven shortboards or something ridiculous like that. I, and I, I really think I think the reason being behind that is a lot of what I've done with longboarding is I've tried for me, my goal is to make the one longboard that can do everything and just ride that whenever. And for me, that's just an old school nine, six by 23 by three, uh, diamond tail single fin that's heavy and can nose ride really well and can turn really well. And I feel like the board that I have right now can kind of do that in any other student and basically any scenario. And I think for me, my mentality going into that is if it's ever not going to work for that board for a nine, six single fin, I probably don't want to be riding a longboard anyway. I'm probably going to be having more fun on a fish, on a bonzer, on a mid length, whatever that might be. Um, and that's kind of been my motto go, going through this. And that kind of keeps me on my toes of being able to switch boards and having a quiver like that really helps me to kind of choose the right board for the right waves and I think also too a lot of people don't really realize how much surfing does rely on muscle memory and when you're only riding that one board all the time without ever switching between different styles longboard shortboard midlength fish thruster whatever it might be you kind of get you get good at riding that one board but as soon as anything changes your body doesn't know what to do you're not really thinking about what you're doing it's all just muscle memory and I think the beauty of being able to switch between longboarding and shortboarding, uh, you know, day by day is kind of breaking that process and that habit and taking that muscle memory and turning it into sort of brain memory of instead of just going, I'm going to rely on my body to do what it does best, but actually knowing, okay, why, why do I completely sink and nosedive the board when I put my weight on, on just the side of it for this specific board but that doesn't happen on this board and it really helps you understand the design and what goes into it and how to actually effectively ride that better um, and I would say every time that I come back to a longboard after shortboarding every time I come back to a shortboard after longboarding vice versa it always I, I notice the difference in my surfing I notice this new sort of clarity that I have in going through different things and you kind of take different pieces from each part and put it together. Is that process intuitive for you? Is it something that just happens while you're on the wave or are you actually thinking critically about the differences in boards and conditions? I, I think it depends. I, I would like to say that I very much think critically all the time about all my surfing, but that's just not true. Um, I think, you know, best intentions every every time I, I go out, I try and obviously, you know, surf my best on that board. And for me, it's a matter of, I can't really think about what I'm doing exactly on that wave, but it's always a, an afterthought process or before that next wave, you know, Hey, I just caught this wave. It was really good. What did I do? Good. Why did I, did I have my foot in a different spot? Did I have my knee bent in a certain way? Why was I able to do that? Or vice versa? I just ate crap on this wave and got completely obliterated. Why? Was I not taking enough paddles? Was I taking off at the wrong angle? Did my fin slide out? Are they not in the right position? So on and so forth. So I think that there's a lot of analysis that can be done after 
basically every wave, you know, I mean, every wave is a learning experience. And I think if you don't take that learning experience every time you surf, you're, you're missing out on something. Are you, when you surf, are you, do you ever have a particular goal in mind or a maneuver you want to drill on? How do you go about progressing your surfing and sort of building this muscle memory and intuition? I think, I mean, for me, it depends on kind of what I'm trying to do in that moment. There definitely are, have been days where, you know, you go out with one specific thing in mind of, you know, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to try and hang heels today. I'm going to try and, you know, extend that out for as long as possible. And so that's, you're doing that on waves that it doesn't even make sense to do it on just because you're trying to get that feeling down. Uh, there are other days where it's just a mindless thing of, I think it's a very interesting process also being a surfer of how quickly we decide what we're going to do on a wave. I've had that thought before of I'm, I would consider myself not the greatest at decisions. It takes me usually quite a while to, to decide what I want to do on certain points of my life and with certain things, even just deciding on dinner, you know, and, <laughs> but with surfing, there is a decision process to every maneuver that you do. Every time that you go up to the nose, every time you do a cutback, every time that you try and do a snap, so on and so forth, layback, whatever it might be, you're deciding to do that. And I think it's a really cool idea that every time that you do that, you're, you're making that millisecond decision of what am I going to do and how am I going to make that in the way that I want it. And I think the best surfers are the ones that can make those decisions and really think ahead about how is that going to affect the rest of this wave and how is that going to affect my flow and my style. And I think that's kind of what I've moved into as far as trying to improve my surfing is to more have that mentality of thinking ahead as to, okay, cool. I can do, you know, hang 10, whatever it might be, whatever I'm working on, but how can I make that look good? How can I make that actually be functional? How can I make that improve my overall surfing on this wave rather than just, Oh, cool. I did this one thing. Um, and then on the flip side, every once in a while, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go try and see if I can pull an air for an hour and then just fall for an hour. <laughs> Thinking ahead when you're surfing is so interesting because there's so many variables that you have no idea, you know, what the wave, unless you're at a perfect point break, but let's say in Southern California, you don't know what the wave is going to do, say in like two turns. So how do you go about kind of adjusting to, to what a wave throws at you? Is it just experience or are you, do you study the spot beforehand? I think it's a combination of both really. Uh, I mean, there definitely is a certain aspect to, you know, the better surfer you are, the quicker that you're going to pick up a spot and say, you know, Kelly Slater, say if he goes to this really tricky wave somewhere around here, he's probably not going to have too much of an issue on his first few waves trying to get that thing dialed in. But whereas an average surfer might take days, months, years to really figure out exactly how that wave is going to work. So I think it's a little bit of a combination of having that just inherent experience of knowing what waves of that type tend to do. And then also, you know, what the bottom of the wave is looking like, you know, if it's a point break, and there's rocks, you know, where are the bigger rocks? Where is it kind of jutting out? Where does it run a little bit faster? If it's a slab, where do I sit? Because a lot of the times that's going to make a huge difference as to what your wave is going to be. Um, that being said, I, I really think part of the beauty of surfing is the spontaneity 
I was, I mean, you always think back to say getting barreled, like that's, I think every surfer would say that that's the best thing in surfing. That's the most fun thing and the most, such an amazing feeling. And I think the real reason why that's such a, a cool experience is the fact that it's so difficult to come by and you need all these things to line up. You need this wave to, you need the wave to line up and not shut down. You need the wave to have enough of a steepness to it to actually barrel. You need to be in the right spot with the right mindset and the right commitment and the right speed without outrunning it. There's just all these things that can ruin that moment. And when everything lines up, it's just something that's so special. And I think that spontaneity, that rareness of having waves do certain things that they might not always do is what makes it such a, a great experience. And it's only for a couple of seconds, oftentimes, when yeah. you're in the barrel. And it's that yeah. special. That feeling is so incredible that putting in all the effort, training, progressing, putting yourselves in the right position is worth it just for a couple of seconds. I don't think there are many other sports like that where the goal is almost to just put yourself in position for, for conditions to line up and to just have an incredible experience. And just hope. <laughs> and even yeah. too i think it's it's cool that even pulling into a barrel that you know is doesn't have an exit and you're just going to get annihilated on the inside that can still be so fun and i don't think that there's any other like you said i don't think there's any other sport where failure can be as fun as in surfing it's also really important to put yourself in positions managing risks where you might be at the end of your limits, but you survive whatever wipeout you may have. Now, that's, that's a dangerous line to tell, but you're not going to progress at surfing unless you're, you're putting yourself in positions where you might fail. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, think my, yeah, <laughs> I think my best waves have, I've took off going, this is going to close out and I'm not going to make it. And when you have that mindset of like, I'm just going to hold on until I fall off. And then all of a sudden you make it out and you go, I didn't expect that at all. That's when your best waves come in, I think. Unreal. You're a super passionate surfer. You, when we were at the wave pool together, you had the most amount of sessions out of anyone. I think you, you surfed like eight hours one day. It's clear that you want to be surfing as much as possible for the rest of your life. And you mentioned how prolonged borders, it's, it's a passion thing. So there has to be a way for you to support your surfing life. What do you think is the ideal job for someone looking to surf as much as possible and to not be sort of confined to the weekend warrior lifestyle? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that there's a lot of answers to that question and I don't think any one of them is the correct one. I will say, you know, growing up, the reason I think why I really wanted to be a professional surfer wasn't because I wanted to be the best surfer ever. It wasn't because I wanted fame. It was because I wanted surfing to be my job and I wanted to just be able to surf as much as possible. And then I've kind of shifted that mindset a little bit more of, it's not about, you know, being the best surfer. It's not about being able to make money off of surfing. It's about living a lifestyle that allows you to surf for the most amount of time over the longest period of time in your entire life. Uh, and that's been my goal lately. I think for me personally, I ended up, I, I was bartending for a long time. I worked in the restaurant industry for about 10 years um, growing up and up into my early twenties. 
And I just recently quit that after a very long time and dropped everything and went back to basically trade school for software engineering. Uh, and so that's been my new passion is trying to make that work and get a job there. And I've been able to get a job where I, I'm working remote now and I still work, you know, eight hours a day or so, five days a week. And, but the great thing about that job, and I think that this is really applicable to a lot of jobs now after, you know, in a post COVID world where people realize that you don't have to be at an office for eight hours, eight, 10 hours a day to be productive. You can do that on a computer anywhere, as long as you have internet. And I think the beauty of it for me is I'm lucky in that my, I have a remote job that allows me to, in a way, kind of set my own hours, as long as I just get my work done. So I can kind of maneuver my schedule around surfing. And, you know, it's, it's a great thing of, you know, hey, the waves aren't good today. I'm going to work extra. Or, and that allows me to, okay, the waves are a little bit better today. I'm going to work maybe a little bit less because I put in those hours earlier in the week and I have afforded myself that. And I think that has, has been my new goal is to keep that momentum going of still being able to have a full-time job, still being able to make a living and actually pursue a career and being successful in that without compromising on my passion of surfing and being able to still be there when the waves are good at the time that I want to without infringing on my productivity during the week, which is, I, I think, a really cool idea. You were pretty casual in how you, you, you described how you became a, a computer engineer, but when you first entered that boot camp, you were working, what, 70 hours a week, something like that? Yeah, it was 70 hours a week. Uh, it was six days, 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Did you go to college? Six days a week. I did, yeah. So I went what to San Diego State. Uh, do you have any, did your studies have anything to do with this at all? Nothing. <laughs> so you were, you were just someone who was, you know, you were bartending, surfing all the time, and you took a look at, at the future and you said, I want to set myself up to have a great lifestyle. I want to do something that allows me to surf a lot. I also want to perhaps feel like I'm, I'm contributing to, to society in some way, but work putting in that amount of work for, for the yeah. amount, that's really intense. Yeah. And I, and I think the funny story really behind it was, I, I think the, the real catalyst to, to what started all of this was I had been going on some surf trips earlier in the year and I, got invited to another one. It was a friend's birthday and they invited me to come down to Mexico, hang out with them for a week. And I had to say no to that. Not even because I knew that if I you know, requested that time off of work that they would say no, but more so because I knew that I couldn't even in good conscience request that time off of work because I had just taken two weeks off for another surf trip recently and we were understaffed. And I just knew that that wasn't possible in, in my current world and I remember having that feeling of that sucks to have to say no to that and having that realization of you know every time I take time off of work to go on a surf trip I'm not only paying for that surf trip but I'm also losing all this money of a week or so or however long it might be that I'm not actually making income because I can't work and I wanted to find something that was remote so I could still have those moments but still be able to work 
as much as I could almost and still kind of not have that double jeopardy loss. And I came home one day and talked to my fiance Morgan about it. She was like, okay, you know what? Let's, let's whiteboard this. Let's, let's write down everything that you're good at, everything that could kind of lead you to where you want to be um, that coincides with what you like to do and what you're good at doing. And I remember just saying, okay, well, I know the one thing that I don't want to do is programming, coding, software engineering. I know I don't want to do that. And <laughs> we mapped everything out. And I, I just remember looking at all of it and just going, crap, it's, this all leads to coding. That's, everything is pointing me towards this as far as what I'm good at, what I like to do and what would give me the things I need. That's the one and only answer that I'm getting from this. I was like, well, I guess I should try it out, you know? I didn't think that I would like it. And I found this boot camp online and they had a prep course that was like a month long or so and it was free to do. So I was like, well, there's no risk. I might as well just try it. And I started trying it. I realized it was nothing like what I thought it was and ended up actually really enjoying the process of learning it. Uh, it was just, just really cool thing. I'd always considered myself to be a person who likes to work with their hands. I think my favorite thing was always, I, I wanted to build stuff. And growing up and all my like career assessments, it was always like, you should be a carpenter, you should be a gardener, things like that. Like work outdoors, work like building things with your hands. And that's always what I've gravitated towards. And the thing I never realized with programming and software engineering was it's a profession where you can build something every day out of nothing. You don't even need materials. You just need time and a text editor and you can build something that can change the world. And I think that that was really what gravitated me towards it. That's awesome. And in my mind, I can't think of a, if, if you're going to be someone with a full-time job, I think that coding or being some type of, of engineer is probably your your best bet if you're going to be surfing as much as possible because you can work remote most of what you do is not sitting in meetings and talking to people like like you would be doing if you were in management or something and you they're, they're great marketable skills i i wonder if we're at a time when it's now possible to neither be a pro surfer nor a surf bum but still surf all the time. Like it used to be that if you were going to be surfing all the time, you were you either had to be a pro surfer or a total bum. Nothing wrong with being a bum, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think, and that was like always the romanticized version of surfing. I think, especially in a lot of the movies that we've seen growing up, like those little campy movies of, you have all these people who go to say, like North Shore, going to the North Shore and, not having any income and just making it work and being homeless and just being there and just surfing. And that was all that mattered. You'd sleep on the beach and you'd surf and you'd find ways to make enough money to, to live and eat. And that was all that mattered. And I think that we've, especially now post COVID when everyone is really realizing how possible remote work is and how it's so easy to collaborate on the go and from different areas around the world that you don't necessarily need those things to be mutually exclusive. You can surf all the time and still make time to have a real job and to be able to afford yourself proper life amenities of being able to have a, a real house and not, not needing to just kind of be that surf bum 
just living on the van, living in his van at the beach. And just, that's all he does all day. Not to say that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. That's what someone wants to do. But I think we're, we're moving into a time that's really unique and that that's not the only way to do that now. And that there's other options available, which I think is really cool. I think that being a surf bum back in the day was, 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 is more respectable because it was a, a sacrifice that people were making to sort of throw off organized society so that they could follow their passions. And this is, this is where the term dirtbag and dirtbag supply co actually comes from. Dirtbags were these climbers living in caves in, in, in Yosemite in, in the 70s and 80s. And that was their passion. That's all they wanted to do. And so these guys would just sink everything they had into climbing. And there was no real industry back then. And so these dirt bags started fabricating their own equipment. They were really curious. They were really passionate, really high octane guys, not, you know, bums that sit around all day and do nothing like many people sort of thought they were. And, you know, Yvonne Chenard, founder of Patagonia, was one of those guys in a cave fabricating his own climbing equipment. And today, it's possible now to, to both follow your passion, whatever that may be, and uh, sort of participate uh, in society in a, in, a, in a meaningful way outside of, of just doing your, your sport or your passion. And it's, it's really cool. And COVID has sort of, it's been a blessing and a curse. Um, you know, it's, it's had a terrible impact on many, many people, many businesses, but it's, it's been a great time to sort of reflect and reconsider what someone wants to do with their life. So it's really cool yeah. to see you sort of just going through that boot camp and coming out with this whole new lifestyle. It's awesome. Yeah. Trying to do whatever it takes to, to keep surfing alive in my life. <laughs> at least in the capacity that I want it to be. So your fiance, I think, surfs more than you do. Isn't that right? <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, you know, not many people surfs. say that. Yeah. It's definitely a good match, I would say. Um, I think that's, you know, why we, we first, or part of the reason why we first were attracted to each other so much was just because, you know, how often do you get to date someone that surfs as much, if not more than you? being a surfer who surfs a lot I, I think that that's a really rare thing and I think having that is a blessing and you know having someone there to kind of push you to surf more and to surf better is, is always a good thing how did you guys meet so we actually met at a surf contest uh we met at a surf contest at Doheny State Beach in uh Dana Point and we were there for one of the club longboard contests and they, have, they were having like a luau after, after the contest and we met there and we actually ended up both winning that contest uh, in our respective divisions and we both got perfect tens in the final and it was like just such this perfect world of oh my gosh look at that like we both we met we both won this contest we both got the same scores that's really cool and then we just started hanging out from there and that kind of blossomed into where it is today that's awesome it just uh it, it, it seems like you've really found a way to organize your life around your passion, find someone you love who's passionate about the same things that you are, and find a job that supports that. 
that's that's pretty cool and uh, i think it's 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 inspiring i think that's why we've been so compatible through this too is that we like i feel like we both have that mindset of you know anything it takes to keep surfing in our lives and to keep flexibility and travel also in our lives and i think having us both be on board with that thought process has been a really special thing awesome so this is our the last question we asked on the podcast is what's your craziest surf story a travel story time someone in the lineup freaked out oh man that's a tough one i feel like i got a couple good i i think outrageous one. something outrageous i mean if i had to do something like that it would have to be so there was a time where uh, me and a few buddies of mine um, in San Diego, we would get together and go on a trip down to Roberts at K38, which is kind of by like Ensenada Gaviotas area in, in Baja, Mexico. We'd take a trip down there and we would go with our dads. So it, would, it was four of us and then our four dads. And we all went down there. And obviously you can imagine like, you know, a lot of surfing, a lot of hijinks, things like that. We were early early 20s late teens or so um so I mean, a lot of fun to be had uh there's one night in particular you know we had just surfed all day we went there's actually a pizza place uh believe it or not down in Baja Mexico uh called Ollie's Pizzeria which is absolutely phenomenal and we went to there to go get pizza had a great time had a great dinner we were driving back home to go you know basically just go back to sleep and wake up to go surf in the morning. We're all excited. We were in two separate cars because we just had that amount of people. We couldn't fit everybody in one car. And we're driving back home. It was night. I think it was like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, something around then. And the way that it worked is Robert's, the place that we were staying at, was right off the, the freeway. You basically got off an exit and then went underneath an overpass and you were right there. It was maybe... 200 feet away from the, the freeway exit. Really close, really easy to get to. And we got off, we're going through the underpass and it's pitch black, there's no light right there. And then all of a sudden we see there is a cop car that was just sitting underneath the overpass right there. And we're like, oh, that's weird. Didn't think much of it. And then we get to where we go and they flip their lights on and they start booking it towards us. Like why, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. And well, we're like, well, let's just pull into where the like the hostel and then we'll get out and we'll see what's going on. Right. So we were the first car in and we backed in. And I just remember looking over my my friend Justin was driving the other car and he's about to back in to the driveway as well. And I look over and I see him and his dad is outside the car with his hands up and they had assault rifles pointed at them. And apparently the Mexican police thought that we were running away from them, uh, which was news to us. And so we go over there and they all had guns pointed at us. (laughs) It was like, I don't know what to do here. Like, how are we going to resolve this? They didn't really speak much English. We didn't really speak much Spanish. We were really scared. They were really intimidating and ended up some out of nowhere, some guy, some local guy, there's like a parking lot next to, to the hostel, literally just emerged from the bushes. And he pops out and just all of a sudden just starts talking to the, the Mexican police in Spanish. And 
all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, they just drop everything. Like, okay, yeah, no, we're done. We're going to go. And they just leave. And the guy comes up to us. He goes, oh, yeah, they were waiting for you underneath that overpass. Do you not see them? Like, they were just waiting for you guys to drive by. They were going to rob you. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Well, yeah, we were like, oh, okay. And, you know, I want to also clarify with, I've been out of Mexico a lot of times and have never had an issue like this. Like, it's just this one fluke. And yeah, the guy was like, yeah, just, they were just trying to basically just take your money. They just wanted to bribe. And we were so thankful that that guy popped up because we didn't really know what to do. We didn't know what was going to happen. And that guy, I, I think what happened was they didn't really want to have any of the locals there that were, you know, witnesses to what they were going to do. And because of that, they drove off. And we were so thankful that guy, I think we gave him like, a couple cases of beer and like a bunch of like snacks and cookies and like basically anything that we had just to thank them we felt so happy and then just spent the night just like shaking <laughs> i well, was not expecting to have a, an assault rifle pointed at me today smart move not stopping until you got back to to the hotel or or, or a populated area yeah i and i think it could have gone either way really the, the lucky part was is that literally the the place that we were staying at was a good maybe 100 to 150 feet away from where the 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 police were and so because of that we were kind of able to get there it wasn't really a drive it was more of like ah let's just not stop right here (laughs) which turned out to be the right move also was the right move to be the first one in the compound as well (laughs) nice that's crazy well thanks for 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 hopping on the podcast man it's great talking to you yeah thanks for having me looks like uh the swell is is looking really good right now i think it might be time for a surf Dude, it's been non-stop for the most part for the last couple of weeks here it's been great i think the most that we've had of flat flat days in the last couple of weeks have been like three or four in a row and then it just goes right back up again it's been great it's been awesome <laughs>